All right, the book of John, and just a reminder, Matthew was talking about John, and of course, he, he wrote to the Jewish believer in particular, and he showed them that Jesus is the king. He talks about the kingdom of God over and over again. He gives his dad's lineage all the way through. So in Matthew, Jesus is giving us a gospel of that Jesus is king. In Mark, it's written primarily to the Romans, and it speaks that Jesus was the servant. He was a servant. You'll see words like immediately and straight forth and right away and, and very straight, straight, uh, straight, straight away. Real quick words. And he served and he ministered and he was very busy in the book of Mark. In Luke, he's the son of man. And he's, Luke is a physician, got much of his information through his, his association with the Apostle Paul, and he was an investigator. He, he interviewed many eyewitnesses, gives us the most information about Jesus' early life and his resurrection and after his resurrection. Luke is the longest of the Gospels, uh, not in chapters, but in volumes. I think Matthew has 28 chapters, Luke has 24, but he's much more descriptive, and he writes trying to attract the attention and tell the Greek about the Lord Jesus Christ because the Greek people would oftentimes, uh, they certainly magnified men. They would name their gods like Hercules as a man and things of that nature. But John is far different. Matthew, king. Mark, servant. Luke, man. But John is conveying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that Jesus is God. He's God. He shows his deity. Boy, the book of John's a wonderful book. Why? Because it's my first name. No, I'm just joking. Uh, it's a great book of the Bible. I like my name except when someone refers to it as a bathroom. I don't like that. Don't do that, all right? That's not a good idea. But nonetheless, John is a, is, he is the youngest of the, of the apostles, probably in his teens when he started following the Lord Jesus Christ. He and his brother James, they worked on the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen with their dad. And uh, Zebedee, who was, a, who was probably a very successful fisher there, and, and they were called the sons of thunder. They had a lot of spark to them, a lot of fire to them. And their mother was really excited, too, about them being one and two on the kingdom of God, one on his right hand, one on his left hand. So they had a lot of, a lot of things going for them. Probably guys were a little bit, had maybe some wealth. We don't believe that John ever got married. He served the Lord his entire life as a single man. He was the one at the cross. He was really chose to be wherever Jesus was. At the, at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, you might remember, he was right there next to Jesus. He knew who was going to betray Jesus. Do you know why? Because he was close to Jesus. You can hear secrets when you're close. He was wherever Jesus was. He was the only disciple we know that was there at the crucifixion. And Jesus on the cross told him, you take care of my mom. And mom, this is your new son. And the Bible says he took him to his own house and took care of Mary until she passed away. He was eventually the longest lasting disciple. He's the only one who didn't die as a martyr. All the other ones were martyred, were killed for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the gospel ministry. But John was an older man who had been soul conscious. Though he had no children of his own, he oftentimes would write, my little children. He would talk to them. He'd call the John the elder, the aged one. He would be the one who would, 
He had won people to Christ and then led them to the Lord. And he's the one who said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He was someone who was an eyewitness of all that he wrote about. Now, he doesn't focus too much on the, on the works of Jesus. There's a few parables, and a, a few, no, there's very few parables. There's a, there's a few miracles that Jesus did, but mostly John focuses on the words of Jesus. Matter of fact, you can look in John chapter 1. Would you look at this? This is what God calls his son. Are you ready? Read it with me. Verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, the same was in the beginning with God. Read verse 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Then there was a man sent from God, I'll read this, whose name was John. And he's not talking about John the Beloved. Matter of fact, when John uh, refers to himself in this as a writer, he doesn't say, he doesn't say John, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's really the big question. You know what will make us a better Christian? You know what gives us a lot more faith? You know what takes away fear? You know, whatever's going to happen in this world and I thought about this today. I was thinking about it because it was a big deal in the airport I was in this morning and this afternoon, and different people are talking about it. By the way, we ought to use it to engage people in the gospel. You ought to use the problems and the difficulties of society to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the, you know the Bible tells us there's going to be diseases and problems, worldwide famines. There's going to be earthquakes and and tornadoes and craziness happen all over. That's what God tells us. It's, it should not be a surprise to a Christian. Men are going to be worse and worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. That's what the Bible says. For God's people, when you say, what's this world coming to? It's coming to God. <laughs> That's what, it's, it's winding down till every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of the glory of the Father. Now, it's not just a bunch of spiritual gobbledygook, but that's just the truth. We're not living on a planet that's getting better and better. It's getting worse and worse. And the actual planet itself, the, the earth itself, is winding down. And God has got a plan. He's just, you're not going to live uh, on a broken down planet the rest of your life. This, this planet's tainted with sin. You know why we have coronavirus? Because of sin. Sin brings death. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man when Adam sinned, so death passed upon all men, for all have sin. I'm not saying that someone who has coronavirus is guilty because they're, they, got, they got it because they were sinners. I'm just telling you, sin brings death. And when you hear people dying from anything, it is, sin is the, is the ultimate culprit of that. We see that. Well, we, we see in the scriptures here that, that uh, John is writing to tell us that Jesus is the answer. I love these, these themes. There are numbers of main themes in the book of John that are unique to him. Number one, the father and the son relationship. John shares us things that Jesus and his father are very much one. There's a relationship. You won't see as much in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but you see in the book of John that Jesus and his father were very close. Probably as many as 20 times in the book of John, you'll see that. In John chapter 8, and verse 29, he says, I do all those things that please the Father. 
He tells us that, that, that he's loved. He says that, uh, if you'll look real quickly in his high priestly prayer, let's look at this in John chapter 17. Can you look there with me? John chapter 17. And you'll see that every word just about of 17 after the introduction is all Jesus talking. And it's his prayer that's recorded for us by the, by the Apostle John. But look at verse 26. Would you read it out loud with me? Here's what Jesus says. He concluded his prayer. And I have declared unto them thy name. And I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou and I in them. Do you know one of the things that we see oftentimes in the book of John is there is a definite relationship between Jesus and his heavenly Father. You know what would make difference in your life if there was a definite relationship between you and the heavenly Father? And if we would know how much he loves us, when someone knows how much God loves them, then their sealing of commitment, their faith, their fear is minimized. Their faith is maximized. Why? Because it's God. He loves me. He loves you. He cares about you. When you're nervous about your kids, well, I think you ought to take care of your kids. I think you ought to be careful about them. But if you're all nervous about your kids, you need to get in love with the Lord and realize how much God loves your children. By the way, how much, how much does God love your children? The Bible says, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. Who claims to own children? God. They're his. I remember when I, I figured out whenever, uh, whenever Tyler was born, then when he passed away, I remind, reminded myself, hey, I offered him to the Lord. I recognized he was the Lord. Brother Mike Ray, he hurts my feelings on this. He, he, he discriminates against my height. He said, low children are inheritance of the Lord. The tall ones are not really of the Lord. Just the low kids are that way. It hurt my feelings because he's a short fellow, you know. But uh, nonetheless, he said, children, they belong to the Lord. And the more I know God loves me, loves my kids, the less fear I have, the more responsibility I take in taking care of them because they belong to him. And, I, and by the way, if you have something that belongs to someone else, you probably are more careful with it, right? When you understand your children are God's children, your job is God's child, I, I, God's job, your position, your responsibility the marriage, the Bible says, who's will find the good wife, find the favor of the Lord, obtain the favor of the Lord, that he's a gift from God. You ought to be a good husband. Why? Because God gave you your wife. I think about this as a church. I love this church. I don't love it like I should, and I don't pastor it like I should. But I oftentimes think about First Baptist Church. I live, eat, drink, and sleep for a lot of times about what God's trying to do through this local church. Because it's, it's his, but you know why? Because it's his church. I don't have to get terribly stressed out. I'm sure I do. I'm really too blessed to be stressed. But when I do get stressed, it's because I'm taking on responsibility God never intended for me to have. You know how many commands he tells me to worry? <laughs> he says, be careful for nothing. Why? Because he's in charge. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. One thing I love about John is that he knew that God loved him. And one of the things he highlighted in the book of John is that beautiful relationship between Jesus and his Father. They communicated. He even tells us our eternal security in John chapter 10. He tells us, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to take them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. 
He's reminding us that he's very close to his father. And John shows that in the book of John. I've got to hasten here. He also focuses on the why that Jesus had to die. Even the most famous verse in the Bible, say it with me, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, should not but have. Very good. So he's talking about the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that he goes on to say that this world is dark and they, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But he goes on to say, why did Jesus have to die? John, probably more than any of the Gospels, tells the why of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also focuses on the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that a little bit later. He, he focuses on eternal life. Matthew and Mark and Luke talk about the kingdom of heaven. You don't find that quite as much in the book of John. You do find the Lord Jesus talking to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But he uses the term eternal life. He's very focused on eternal life. By the way, you want to make sure that you have eternal life. If you don't have eternal life, you need Jesus. You need a relationship with him. You need his forgiveness. You need his gift of eternal life. He loves you. Everybody that goes into eternity without God goes into eternity unsaved. No one goes into eternity unloved. He loves you. Everybody in hell, God loves them. He didn't want them to be there. He doesn't want you to be there. He's not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And you see John focuses on the eternal life, and then he also uh, focuses on God's timetable. When you see in the book of John, you'll see that Jesus, even from a child, he's, whenever his mother Mary found him in the temple with 12, 12, 12 years old, he said, don't, don't you know that I should be about my father's business? You'll see him refer to time. They were going to capture him, but his time was not yet come. You'll see that he's very consistent, waiting for the timing of his father. He, he's very, and a timetable is shown in the book of John that's very unique to John in particular. Well, here's a couple verses, and let's look also at chapter 20. Let's take all the way to the back there. You, we said John 3, 16. But one of the key verses is John chapter 20. We're going to look at verse number 30 and 31. And this kind of tells us what John's purpose is. John tells us why he wrote the book of 1 John that ye may know that ye have eternal life. He tells us why he wrote the book of John as well, verse 30 of chapter 20. Are you there? Let's read it together. Can we please? And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. He tells us that, listen, all the things that God did, Jesus did in that in those three and a half years, those 33 years he was here, if all the books of the world were all about that, they wouldn't contain all that really meant and happened there. But it is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and you can have life through his name. If you, if you have someone who's, who's kind of a little bit uh, suspect on Christianity, on truth, if you can only have them read one book of the Bible, I oftentimes encourage them, if you could just read John. John doesn't mean they'll get saved from doing that, but God says, I've given you this so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you can have life through his name. 
We have little booklets sometimes we hand out to people and one to canvas. It's the book of John, the book of Romans. If you're going to read one book of the Bible and someone would be willing to read one book, let them read the book of John. It would be something that would stir their hearts and possibly draw their hearts to accepting Jesus as their only Messiah. Here's the outline of the book. Number one, signs of his divine sonship. Chapters 1 through 12. If you look at the book of John, chapter 1, you see he's introduced as the Christ, and then also John the Baptist testifies about him. Chapter 2, he opens up with going to a wedding. And then, uh, by the way, God loves marriage. You and I love marriage. And a wedding is special. He attends a wedding to put his, to put his and does his first miracle at a wedding. Then he purifies the temple. He'll do that probably two times early in his ministry. He'll do it again at the end of his ministry. Go, and he'll say, look, you've, you've made my, my father's house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. You've made it all about the, the market and all about selling things. And he goes, it ought to be a place of prayer. It ought to be a place of, of love and attention and worship toward God. You've made it all about business. Don't do that. And then in chapter 3, he speaks with Nicodemus. Chapter 4, he speaks with the woman at the well. Chapter 5, he uh, heals a man who is at the pool of Bethesda, and he heals him, and, and God, God, God begins to work there. Chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. And then chapter 7, he makes his way to the Feast of the Tabernacles and spends some time down in Jerusalem. And there, his, his time is... He gets threatened, and, there, and his, his brothers and sisters don't believe him. In John chapter 7, it tells a little bit about that. But he heals some other people. He heals a man in John chapter 9 who was blind. And they said, why did this person sin? Is blind? Is it sin of his mom, sin of his dad, or his sin? Whose sin? And he said, no, it's that God will be glorified through this healing. That's why he was blind. And he begins to, he begins to say at that time, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while his day. The night cometh, and no man can work. Chapter 10, we see that he's the good shepherd. In chapter 10, chapter 11, he heals Lazarus and brings him back to life. He's the resurrected life giver of, of that. Then chapters 12, 13, 14, he begins 12 and 13. That's when he begins to gather his disciples. And chapters 12 through chapter uh, 19 are, are really just a couple days there. It's the last days before his crucifixion. Once again, the other apostles, the other, the other gospels give a lot more details about his miracles and his parables and things of that nature. John just gives the first 11, verse, 11 chapters about a few things and a few encounters bringing people to the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son. He is the Son of God. He is Christ. And then he tells them, he, he sits with his disciples. He rents the upper room. They have the last meal. He washes the feet of the men. He washes Peter's feet. He washes Judas's feet, knowing that he's going to betray him in a few hours. It's amazing, the stories. And then he tells them, I'm going to die. And they're troubled. That's why in chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, let not, let not your heart be troubled. You believe God, believe also in me. He tells about in his father's house are many habitations, mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to repair a place, and then I'm coming back. And they say, where are you going to go, and how are you going to come back? And how can we go with you? And he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. In the book of John, he is telling him, I am. Even, you know, I'm the, I'm the door. If anyone goes to heaven, they have to go through him. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd layeth down his life for, for his sheep. Chapter 15, he says, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. And remember when they came to find him that night with Judas, and, and he said, who are you looking for? I'm well, looking for Jesus. I am. And they all fell back. <laughs> he is the I am in John. He is God. And that from the very beginning, from the first words we read, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. You know how, God's, how he, God made everything that we see? He spoke it. You know who walked with Adam in the cool of the day? The voice of the Lord. He's the word. You say, man, I want to I I know who I am. You know, to know who you are, you need to know God because you're made in his image. To know God, you'll need to know his son because he's the image. of You say, what does God look like? He looks like his son, Jesus. But to know Jesus, you'll need to know his word because Jesus is the word. He's all through the Bible. John is telling us that he tells him the, the signs, the miracles of his sonship, of course, turning the water into wine, uh, bringing Nicodemus, a very, a very religious zealot, to the Lord. Nicodemus would later defend the Lord in John. And then in John, he, wrapped his, he took his body off the cross with Joseph Arimathea and wrapped it up. He got saved. He was a silent Believer for a long time, he was, he would, they asked him, are you a Galilean? Are you believe this guy? Because he defended him. And, of course, he was little hard, hard, it wasn't ready to put himself out there at one point. But he did on the crucifixion day. He, took it, he went out there in front of God and everybody and took his body down with Joseph, wrapped it up, and put it into Joseph's uh, thing. We see that. We see his miracles and the people he did, the work of the Lord. Number two, the secrets of his divine sonship. He began to tell, you know, who did he tell these secrets to? You can see he wasn't on the hillside in chapters 13 through 17. Who was he with? He's with his disciples. He wasn't telling the masses. He was telling the few a little bit about his future and what was going to happen. And then they could hear him pray his prayer in, Psalm, in, in, in John chapter 17. And then lastly, the sorrow of his divine sonship. And of course, chapters 18 through 21 is his, is his crucifixion, his trial, his crucifixion, his betrayal, and then his resurrection, and then his meeting with his disciples. Here's a couple things here. The book of John emphasizes the words of Christ more than the works of Christ. Key words in the book of John, life, Light, love, believe, witness. I'll repeat those. Life, life. He's the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the light of the world. Light. Love is a huge, a huge thing to Apostle John. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoso believes in him should not perish. And then witness. A continual division between belief and disbelief surfaces throughout the book. That's the next little statement. A continual division between believing and unbelieving. Be unbelief and belief is one of the main surf things that surface in the book. And, of course, your most important thing about you and me is our faith. Everybody has faith. You have faith to drive here tonight. If you were riding, you had a faith in the person who was driving. You had faith in the car. You had faith in the guy in the right lane would stay in his lane. And, you, and the person left would stay in their lane. The people coming against you would not blend over. We have, to, we have to have faith to go out and eat. You eat in a restaurant. You're exercising faith in someone you don't even know who they are. You don't know what they look like. You don't know what the kitchen looks like. But you'll order something and, and eat it by faith. 
You have faith that you put your money in the bank account. Somebody's going to protect that money and it's going to be okay when you go to the ATM, you can get it out. We live life by faith, but, but faith is the most important thing about us and not faith in ourselves, faith in each other, faith in God. Faith in the Lord and the Son of God. And he's pushing that throughout the book. Two things to ponder. Number one, the importance of the Holy Spirit's activity in our life. Would you take a moment and turn to chapter 14, verse number 26, please? 1426. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for being Bible students and seeking to learn something from the Scriptures. I love being with you and love the fact Brother Doug Fisher says that he loves preaching here because the people know where to find things in their Bible. They turn their pages of their Bible, and I'm glad. Next week, bring your Bible, turn loud pages, would you? <laughs> Chapter 14, verse 26. Let's look at it and read it together. Are you ready? Speaking of the Holy Spirit. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Very good. And the Holy Spirit also brings the first word of chapter 20, verse 27. What is that? Peace. The Holy Spirit's activity in your life. Let's look at chapter 16, verse 13. Chapter 16, verse 13 speaks of more about the Holy Spirit. I'll read it. You follow along. How be it? When he, the Spirit of truth, come, he will guide you to all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, and whatsoever he shall hear, that will he speak, and he will show you things to come. Verse number 14, read it with me, would you please? He shall. We find that the Holy Spirit, uh, one, of the, one of the challenges you have somewhat with other maybe charismatic groups, Pentecostal groups, oftentimes they really exalt the Holy Spirit. But if you can see what the Bible says, the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. He will speak of the Lord, Jesus. And he is a background player. He's the one moving the, he's the one moving the things behind the scenes. And he will always, he does bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. You'll see that in chapter 16. But he is promoting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is reminding us of his truth. Last one, God's great love for mankind. And of course, for God so loved the world, and in greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And I just say again, God loves you. Can you say it together? God loves me. You ready? God loves me. One more time. Yeah, and always believe that. The whole Bible is about how much God loves you. And sometimes we think he doesn't love us, or he doesn't love us like he loves some people. He loves you. And when you're convinced of his love, there is, there's, there's, a no, there's a very high ceiling of what we'll do with him and for him. If you're, if you're not sure God loves you, you're going to live a very low life. When you know he loves you, you can forgive other people. You can, you can do this. You can give aggressively. You can love. You can serve. Why? Because the love of Christ constraineth us.